Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Listen to the story. This story um, takes place in Brooklyn. I wrote Manhattan. Mm -mm, we're in Brooklyn. Yeah. But, okay, because the, the blurb about this story, Bleak Gilliam, a Manhattan jazz trumpeter, but he was a Brooklyn, wasn't the club in Brooklyn? I don't know where the club was. The club might have been in Manhattan. Yeah. But they definitely lived in Brooklyn. The right. beginning, it was in Brooklyn, at least. I don't know where he ended up moving to. Well, at the end, he's back at, okay. In Brooklyn. Right. A really nice brownstone. Okay. Bleak Gillian. Gilliam. A Manhattan jazz trumpeter jeopardizes both his relationships and playing career after a series of bad decisions. Don't we all make them? Particulars. Mo Better Blues. It came out on August 3rd, 1990. I remember when it came out because we were in Germany and I was yeah. I was nine. I was not yet 10 years old. So at the start of the movie, it starts in 1969 when Bleak is a little kid. And the movie came out in 1990. So I did the math and that was 21 years prior. So ah. it's the equivalent of a movie coming out today in 2024. 21 years prior would be. That's crazy. 2003. That's crazy. Wow. I know. Isn't it? That's nuts, right? Yes. I'm like, oh, yeah, 2003. That was. I mean, I was living in. Cal I've lived in California for 21 years. Yep. Okay. So. It is produced, written, and directed by Spike Lee. So, a.k.a. it's a Spike Lee joint. This is his follow-up to Do the Right Thing. Um, and then he follows that up with Jungle Fever, Malcolm X, and Crooklyn. So mm -hmm. this is kind of in the middle. I mean, he's still going strong, but this is like early in his career. But but he's off. This is the follow-up. Like, Do the Right Thing was like, woof, you know. It wasn't his first film, but... That's what really got him on the map and stuff. And um, It's edited by Samuel D. Pollard, who was an assistant editor on A League of Their Own. He also edited Jungle Fever, Clockers, the documentary Four Little Girls. He's gone on to become a director in his own right. He's directed documentaries such as MLK, FBI, which I highly recommend, and he's directed the documentary Black Art, colon, In the Absence of Light. And he's directed another documentary called The League, which is about the Negro Leagues. And that's on Hulu. And I'm like, I've wanted to see that. And I'm like, oh, it's on Hulu. So I will definitely check that out. The music is by Bill Lee. Yes, Spike Lee's father. He... Whoa. He was a jazz bassist and composer, and he worked with Aretha. And he was also a session musician for Duke Ellington, Billie Holiday, Harriet Belafonte, Simon and Garfunkel, and Peter, Paul, and Mary, just to name a few. Wow. I believe he was actually on Puff the 
Puff the Magic Dragon and Mr. Tambourine Man. Oh, I love Puff the Magic Dragon. The director mm-hmm. of photography. I how, can't, wait. How did it go again? Puff the Magic Dragon. Live by the sea. And a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, the director of photography is Ernest Dickerson. He also did Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X. And as a director, he directed Juice, six episodes of The Wire, along with episodes of Dexter and The Walking Dead, and so many others. Wow. So everybody associated with this is bona fides, bona fides, bona fides. The cast starring Denzel Washington as Bleak Gilliam. He was around 36, 37-ish in this. Young Denzel. No, I didn't even recognize. He looked so young. I didn't even recognize him at first. This is how I remember him. He had done Glory previous to this in 1989 and then follows this up with Mississippi, Malasa, Ricochet, Malcolm X. So this is like, you know, Denzel getting into Denzel form. And he's currently filming Gladiator 2. So Denzel just Denzeling. Gladiator 2? 2, yes. Gladiator 2. We have Spike Lee as Giant. You know, Spike Lee has been on other things. We have Wesley Snipes as Shadow Henderson. Wesley Snipes made his film debut in Wildcats, which we still have not done. He was also in New Jack City, White Men Can't Jump, and Passenger 57. Always bet on black. We have Joie Lee. I oh, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. I thought it was Joy. I couldn't, I didn't As know. As did I. I. I looked at the pronunciation as in Joie de Vie. It's Joie. Uh-huh. Of course. As Indigo Downs. In real life, she is Spike Lee's brother. I mean, sister. No, nobody could deny that. I mean, they <laughs> look so much alike. She was also in Crooklyn, Do the Right Thing, and Losing Isaiah. We have Cinda Williams as Clark Bentacourt. Bentancourt. She was in One False Move, Tales of the City, and Nerd Alert. She changed her name from Cindy because Laverne and Shirley actress Cindy Williams was already a Cindy Williams with SAG. So she didn't want to, had to avoid confusion. So she went with Cinda Williams. I like Cinda um, better. And we ha- and another nerd alert. She was married to Billy Bob Thornton from 1990 to 1992. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is one I did not know. I wonder if that, because I think Spike Lee followed this film up. I think his next film was Jungle Fever. So I wonder if. <laughs> me, me wonders. Hmm. Um, let's see. Where are we? Giancarlo Esposito, ma. Again, I love him. As Left Hand Lacey, he was in Twilight that we just did. Do the Right Thing, The Usual Suspects, and of course, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. We have Bill Nunn as Bottom Hammer. He was in Do the Right Thing, New Jack City, and in the early 2000s Spider-Man trilogy. We have Jeff Tane Watts as Rhythm Jones. He's a real life jazz drummer. In fact, Tasty Titty, he 
all the other people in the band are actors. He's the only actual musician because when I saw when I was watching this, I was like, that man's really playing the drums. That's that's a real drummer. You can't fake that. Um, he is a professional drummer, jazz drummer. He played with Wynton Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard and Harry Connick Jr., just to name a few. We also have Dick Anthony Williams as Mr. Big Stop Gilliam. He was in The Mac, Dog Day Afternoon, and Five on the Black Hand Side. We have Abby Lincoln as Lillian Gilliam. <laughs> oh, that's a name. That's a, that's a mouthful. Ooh. She is a jazz vocalist and civil rights act- activist. In fact, she started wearing her hair natural as a way of, quote, both asserting her agency as a person with values, opinions, and beliefs invested in celebrating black womanhood. Because back in the 60s, black women were straightening their hair because it's that proximity to whiteness and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she was one who was like, no, my hair, as it comes out of my head, is naturally beautiful. And so I salute you, Lillian. Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. We have John Turturro as Mo Flatbush. He was in Do the Right Thing, The Big Lebowski, and Quiz Show. His real-life brother, Nicholas Turturro, played his brother, Josh Flatbush. He was also in Do the Right Thing, the TV show NYPD Blue, and Black Klansman. We have the late, great Robin Harris as Butterbean Jones, the stand-up comedian. Man, he's most famous for his bit... Bebe's kids. Yep. He, he was a great comedian. House party. He was in I'm gonna get you sucker. Oh, yeah, that was a that, talk about a man gone too soon. We have Samuel L. Jackson as Madlock. He was in Do the Right Thing, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Pulp Fiction. You know him. He's Samuel Motherfucking L. Jackson. That's right. We have Charlie Murphy as Eggie. Yeah. He was in Harlem Nights, CB4, and of course the Chappelle Show. And Ruben Blades as Petey. Ruben Blades is a Panamanian musician, singer, composer, actor, activist, and politician, performing music most often in the salsa and Latin jazz genres. Mm. He also acted in The Lemon Sisters. (laughs) (laughs) That was the movie I was trying to remember, Ma. Didn't you hate The Lemon Sisters? Yes, I did. Oh, hey, I've never heard you just... I as a little kid, I think you like rented it, and like for a week, all you could talk about was how much you hated the Lemon Sisters. <laughs> and it had Goldie Hawn and Susan Sarandon. No, oh, I do love Goldie Hawn. Wasn't it? And I Susan think, Sarandon. I I don't know. I think Diane Keaton might have also been in it. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. It just I'll made me laugh when I oh, saw the Lemon Sisters. Oh, where was I? Uh, he was also in All the Pretty Horses and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And those are the particulars. All right. This movie is about ego. <laughs> the, mo- <laughs> the movie starts mm. with a li- I think it's about specifically male ego. Yeah. But there's some female ego in there. The movie starts with a little boy in a gorgeous brownstone in Brooklyn. His friends want him to come out and play baseball, but he has to stay home and practice his trumpet. Anybody who ever uh, took music lessons, um, well, 
maybe some people enjoyed them. I hated them personally, and I never practiced enough. And I kept hearing I hated some of it, yeah. I liked it in class, but when my mom was teaching me, I never really. Ooh, mm, yeah. yeah. I tried to teach Erin to read, and she told me I was her mother, not her teacher, and just stopped. I think my mom just had a student say something crazy to her. My mom teaches piano. Um, and she had a student. She said, did you practice this song? And her student said, I practice it in my sleep. My dog told me. He talks when everyone <laughs> is sleeping. And my mom said, okay, try to practice when you're awake this <laughs> you, oh. the, the funny thing about practice is that I... When I was in high school, I guess, I don't know. But there's always that famous quote of Allen Iverson. And it was like, practice, practice. And so when I was in, I guess, middle school middle and school. early part of high school, I played the oboe and I never practiced. <laughs> but then when I was an adult, when I was 26, I started taking drum lessons. And I practiced then. Not... <laughs> Not as much as I should have, but I'll tell you what made me really start practicing was when I signed up for basically it's like an adult, like rock band kind of thing where you would meet once a week and play. And then at the end of the eight weeks, you play a concert, man, that made me practice every day because yeah. you kind of can't hide when you're the drummer. So <laughs> I was true. very nervous and Every day I made sure I practiced because I was like, I'm not going to make a fool of myself. But I, it's also the same like with basketball. When I was an adult, I un, like I understood the point of practice and, and like how to practice. Whereas like as a kid, it, it was like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to. Ugh, you know, it's, it's just funny how that's one of those things of like an inverse proportion thing uh -huh. of that's just a funny thing of life of like yeah but when you get older then you kind of understand the importance of practicing there's a lot of yelling among bleak's mother his father and him we then cut to a club where bleak's band is playing everyone in bleak's life wants him to fire his manager what could go wrong so much. so much. So POC was, um, yeah, pretty much everybody. Hey, did you say, I didn't count, I didn't know if I saw any Asian people. I didn't, maybe no. in the, club. maybe like in crowds or stuff, but I didn't really have a POC count because it's a predominantly right. black exactly. film. Exactly. So. Yeah. So cast, uh, Tini, I believe you have some cast. Yes. Um, I read an article. It's a educational, uh, like a dot edu. Blanking on what it's called. What, you know, educational paper. I'm not sure. It's 18 pages. Good read. Um, called Spike Lee Constructs. Spike Lee Constructs the New Black Man. Mo Better. Mo Better. And then it's by Sharon, Elise, and Adewole Umoja. And a lot of the article, like, talks about Spike Lee, like, the way he rakes um, movies and, like, 
you know, for like black people and through that black lens. And so he said that um, the difference, well, actually I'll start here. Though his use of camera, through his use of camera, um, Lee beckons the audience to participate. He establishes intimacy between the actors and the viewing audience. Blacks are not merely observing these actors going through fictitious scenarios, they share their lives. The actors look into black eyes, speaking and grappling with problems black share. This black interaction is assumed, assured, and essential. Lee then is not speaking for black people, he's speaking to black people. Um, the difference between Lee and white oriented, and these are, these are excerpts between all in a row, but the difference between Lee and white oriented filmmakers is that the white view is that of a commuter passing through foreign terrain. Lee views the, views the black community as a resident and participant. The commuter gets at best surface impressions while Lee as the resident is a participant and an observer. He's acutely aware of the nuances of his community because he is indicating those with whom he's intimate on a daily interactive basis. As a resident, Lee can explore parts of the black community that whites dare not enter. So too can Lee explore aspects of the black psyche that whites cannot comprehend and fear to encounter. Um, there was a thing that I forgot to take an excerpt out of about how instead of like making these like fictitious story, I don't know, like uh, or like these dream things, like he still incorporates like graffiti and like, like the actual, you know, black experience, like some of the black experience, like it's not like he runs away from all of that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a blurb about his music, about the music that he uses. Uh, he said in this era of the pop top 40 where white music moguls create stars, indigenous black music is usually relegated to the fringes of pop culture. However, the black community asserts its own orientation to music. African-Americans celebrate their own stars and styles regardless of their appeal to the white market or lack thereof. It's not Springsteen, it's James Brown. It's not Barry Manilow, it's Luther Vandross. It's not Kenny G, it's John Coltrane. It's Bessie and Bella and Dinah and Sarah and others who have no equivalent or parallel in the white community. Lee uses the magnetism of black music and the statements embodied therein to harness our intention. Um, in Mobetta Blues, he woos blacks with Coltrane's Love Supreme and seduces them with sensuous strains of Branford Marsalis and his father, Bill Lee. The music he uses is purposefully chosen because it elicits powerful emotional responses and because it reinforces the thematic direction of his films. He goes beyond mere usage of music to revere the artists that create it, as in the roll call of Black musical contributors, contributors proffered by the We Love Station and Do the Right Thing, and his thematic focus on the jazz quartet and Mobetta Blues. Thus, he reaffirms the magnitude of African-American creativity while creating an environment compatible with the transmission of his ideas. So a lot of great things, but then the issue that I encounter that for this movie specifically too was um, the treatment of the women in his films. Well, oh, yeah. in this film, yeah. Um, so, you know, in this movie, like, Obviously, uh, Bleak is just playing around with buying these two women the same dress in yeah. Paris. Really, he won't invite the one girl to the shows because he always has the other girl coming. Um, so there's a whole section in here called The Fallacy of Lee's Sexual Construction. It's a dick thing. Um, and it starts off by saying, you know, his films are significant in their presentation of new images of black men and women. These images are new as objects for mass consumption, but because they are news 
for blacks. They generate new images of black men and women for mass consumption. Yet what he brings to the screen is not surprise to black viewers. It reflects what they have known all along, their humanity. Um, love is a persistent theme underlying black humanity, a theme boldly expressed as a sexual love and more subtly rendered as a deep devotion to each other. Um, and it talks about how like in his movies, like, you know, the black men are not portrayed as sexual predators, such as in white mythology. Lee right. shatters white's illusions of their desirability. Um, and he has like a strong portrayal of black on black intimacy. Um, and it also talks about how, like, I've, I've still, I've never seen a birth of a nation. Did you guys do that movie? I saw it in college. Um, I've seen many, many clips of it. I think okay. we, I, did we not do it? No. Okay. Well, now a white man portrays the black central brute in that movie. Um, but talks about how like, you know, black men entering the film industry were denied their sexuality and relegated to roles of as buffoons and, um, you know, they died early in the plot and were expendable without any love interest. So, and then if a serious relationship were to develop, particularly if it involved a white woman, she had a serious defect such as blindness and a patch of blue, which we did. Mm -hmm. um, or if a black female was involved, her role was marginal, asexual, underdeveloped, um, super sexual or undeveloped in all. Um, they talked about Lilies of the Field where Sidney Poitier uh, was in the service of white nuns and doesn't, mm -hmm. I haven't seen that movie. I'm sure you've done it. No, we haven't done that one yet. Oh. Um, talks about a couple of examples. So, you know, it was important that he shows these kind of relationships, but the one fail here is that he has failed to capture a black woman's true essence mm -hmm. he said well it's extremely problematic for black women that he fails to set them at the center of black life it is even more problematic that he having cast aside white stereotypes fails to cast aside patriarchy within them he therefore substitutes white male hegemony hegemony yeah i think it's that hegemony. Word always me up with black male supremacy um, only bleak sense in, sits in the center of the camera's eye while the world revolves around him. The black woman is allowed that place at the core only when she is with her man as part of him. Um, sitting center stage, the black man is allowed to dictate, D-I-C-K, the movements <laughs> of the black woman who is essentially a prop on the stage that he dominates. Um, he said, excuse my language. In Lee's films, white, while men are allowed to have their dick thing, they are also the possessors of the pussy and women are forbidden the comparable autonomy. Um, he said, doing the mo, better might, the mo better might beat celibacy, but it falls far short of meeting black needs for intimacy, emotional, emotionality, and the reciprocity that belies mutual respect. Um, in defining his male characters, he employs a, a variety of means to assure their masculinity. They are men because they are not women and not female and because they have mastery over women. Their greatest insults embody feminizing each other or questionizing each other's heterosexuality and or virility. Um, so he talks about some of the taunts that I won't say those words out mm -hmm. loud, uh, but the counterpart of Lee's black man is the black woman 
gone is the premise that black man wants the white wants what the white man has the white woman Lee's fallacy lies in his construction of the black woman as a receptacle for the black man's phallus um so yeah that's my cast I I think like in Wikipedia I think it was on Spike Lee's page it it mentioned like that how um Bell Hooks had a similar critique specific like to him about this saying that basically how um like paraphrasing that she took issue and said he basically writes black women with a white gaze like the same way that white authors write black women Mm -hmm. so I I thought that was interesting still can't get out from under the patriarchy damn yep Mm-hmm. That's why so many of the feminist leaders have been black women, and then they get mm-hmm. um, like marginalized and kicked out by. <laughs> have you guys been keeping up with this trial? Um, I have not. With well, the Fanny, Fanny, Fanny. I only I listened to part of the, the daily the daily yeah but when they were like asking because i guess like they had to prove that she didn't that they were trying to prove that she didn't that she benefited from these like trips and she didn't pay the other guy back for all these trips that they took mm-hmm. and so they were like well how did you pay him back like what did you use um like digital whatever and she was like no i paid him in cash and they were like you paid him in cash she was like yeah and they were like, where'd you get the cash from an ATM? She was like, nope, I had it nope. at my house. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yep, as a, my father told, my black father told me, oh, as a black woman, I should always have at least $20,000 of cash or something like that. I can't remember wow. the amount. And um, I no, I think he said she should have enough cash to be on her own for six months if she needed to in her house at all times. Good advice. How you going to fight that? I know my only thing problem with that is that now like people know that like that's something that um I mean that's something that my dad like not those sums but he's always like you know you always need to make sure that you have cash and stuff and so like when I heard that I was just like yeah she don't gotta know more she spent it all on the vacation that's (laughs) true and and he and she was like like I mean there's so much if you want to unpack all of the uh, what is the word Miss Noir that's going on there with that? And because people are like, oh, now she's going to play the race card. But it's like, no, that's what they played because that's the only thing that they could, could go that's to. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it always goes back to that reinforcement of you have to be twice as good. And then I find myself cringing because I'm like, why did you like, why did you put yourself in that position? But I'm holding her to a higher standard than I would anybody else because yeah. I know the way that the world looks. So it's this like compounding thing of of like yeah. I'm like, no, why are why am I doing that? I'm like, I'm doing that because I know the world that we live in and yeah. that and yeah. then I'm like, I'm also like, why does any like, of this matter? This has nothing to do with anything. Like right. when she's a like, cast. She was like, I think you're saying that I'm not the one on trial. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because because that's what, they're in Georgia. He's a white man, well-to-do white man, and going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at solving his problem and and making it go away and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, And yeah, and then the 
the thing is, do you is think that she w- really paid him back? I don't. Yes. I don't I'm, think. She, I believe yes. she got the money. I believe she has the money, but I don't I'm think more. I mean, I know this is problematic. I'm more irritated that that she allowed, like, was in this position to have. Right. have yes, have, exactly. Like, that's kind to of. To have to yeah. even talk about. Like, it's one of those yeah. roles. When you're in one of those roles, like, you know, the eyes are on. Like, yeah. yeah. No matter what race you are, and, like, the eyes are on you. Like, people are going to. And the case that you're going against you know but like, it's always I, people in politics that get themselves in these situations because it's ego because the people who want to be in those positions have to have the ego to be in that position so it, mm-hmm. it leads it to it it's kind of like like why are there's like why are actors um stereotypically like so needy and 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 it's because they there's something in them that makes them want to seek out the attention you know it, it's that kind of thing yeah it, it's uh, like uh, <sighs> i say so that was my cast my cast is in a different direction mm. i'm so glad that, that you brought those parts of the cast because so my cat. Are you gonna talk about these two dum dums that own the club? That's that's exactly what I'm. Gonna yep. That, I didn't have time to unpack it, but that's that's why I was 15 minutes late because I went down a rabbit hole. Okay. So I am when I'm talking about Jewishness and Jewish people, I am not talking about a government. I just want to separate that disclaimer. Right. Complete disclaimer. Okay, so with this film, there were some controversies. The Anti-Defamation League and other Jewish organizations claimed that the nightclub owners, quote, dredge up an age-old and highly dangerous form of anti-Semitic stereotyping. Mm. And, quote, that Spike Lee, whose success is largely due to his efforts to break down racial stereotypes and prejudice, has enjoyed the same kind of tactics that he supposedly deplores, end quote. So the two brothers, they're played by, you know, John and Nicholas Turturro. Um, did oh, you know really that? Brothers? Yeah, in yeah, real in life. In real life. Uh-huh. Oh. The Turturros grew up Catholic and are of Irish descent. Oh, are and, they really? I yeah. always thought Italian. I mean, he just... Well, John... Totoro, he's oh, I've never known because he has actually played a ton of Jewish characters over his career, but then he's also played like in the Big Lebowski and stuff. He just has one of those faces that he can just play a wide exactly. swath. But it's just so um I just thought that that was kind of an interesting thing because we've we've talked about it before on the podcast about um how like within Hollywood Jewish like Jewishness Jewish depiction in Hollywood is often how Jewish people are not played by actual Jewish people. Uh Did I say that right? You know what I mean, Uh right? Yeah. Okay. So Spike Lee responded in a New York Times editorial pointing out a double standard in the accusation of anti-Semitism given the long history of negative portrayals of Black Americans in films. He said, quote, Not every black person is a pimp, murderer, prostitute, convict, rapist, or drug addict. But that hasn't stopped Hollywood from writing these roles for African Americans. He said that even if the Flatbush brothers were stereotypical or stereotyped figures, 
Their 10 minutes of screen time is insignificant compared to the 100 years of Hollywood cinema and the slew of really racist anti-Semitic filmmakers. He said, quote, don't hold me to a higher moral standard than the rest of my filmmaking colleagues. Mm. Now that young black filmmakers have arisen in the film industry, all of a sudden stereotypes are a big issue. I think it's reaching the point where I'm getting reviewed, not my films. You went, uh, you went on to say, you went on to say, quote, I stand behind all my work, including my characters, Mo and Josh Flatbush. If critics are telling me that to avoid charges of anti-Semitism, all Jewish characters I write have to be model citizens and not one can be a villain, cheat, or a crook, and that no Jewish people have ever exploited black artists in the history of the entertainment industry, that's unrealistic and unfair. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, this is one of those things where like two things, two points can be true. I feel like he's probably met those, you know, characters very, he they were based the on same thing like you're it's like not like you're you know he's he's not even making movies where there's no bad people like black people you know it's like that's mm -hmm. like, there's bad people in every race you know what i thought was an interesting um thought question or like it's just an interesting thought so paul newman he considered himself to be jewish and I wondered if Paul Newman was played John Turturro's character in this. Would people would people know enough to know that that's an anti-Semitic? No, trope? they would just see him as a white man. But then would would he get accused of cultural appropriation? Be no. Because a lot of see, so well, we're we're gonna get into this, but a lot of this stuff, like other people, they say it more succinctly than me. When I watched this, I didn't pick up on the Jewish Jewishness of them, mm -hmm. and it wasn't. I was like, wait, how were they Jewish? And I guess they were saying like Yiddish words and stuff, so it was like very pointed, and they are. So then you're like, well, that is that is a stereotype, and that's not a great stereotype. Like, the, both these things can be true and stuff. And Lord knows, like people don't need, you know, anti-Semitism is a huge thing, and it has been for a long time. And unfortunately, I don't see any end in that. Like, anti-Semitism is a is a real deal. So I could see if, if I was a Jewish person, and I was sitting there watching the movie, sure. I'd be like, what Absolutely. is this? You know? I see both sides of that. Right, mm -hmm. right. So... But the last point, because, you know, his father, he grew up around the jazz in the music scene and stuff. And the point that he makes about black artists and history of entertainment getting exploited. So that brought me to the article, 2017 article, The Music Industry's Long History of Dividing Blacks and Jews by Justin Jaffe. So the author is a Jewish man himself. He said, quote, some stereotypes become dangerous when the observer amplifies and applies his or her observation from the sum to all. The difference between mm -hmm. a cultural observation and a stereotype lies in that amplification of a perceived pattern to an absolute truth. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why, like where Spike Lee is coming from, because we have such a small sample size of black Americans in film cinema that when that's all the depiction of it, it gets applied to everyone. 
So in the article, he points out that it's true. It's a reality. Jewish label owners and producers have played a big role in shaping of the music industry. And much of that role has been on the back of black artists. He points out how black and Jewish histories are both wrought with slavery, diaspora, and displacement. How both did jobs that were um, seen as unclean or dirty. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't know this, but back in the Middle Ages, the church thought that handling money was a sin against God. So in the Middle Ages, the church was like... They sure don't feel that way now. (laughs) No, but... That's how Jewish people became tax collectors because they that wasn't their oh, church. So that was I their, had never heard that before. Wow. So, you know, they're already like looked down upon and seen right. as unclean and uh, so then and if people are like, "Oh, money is unclean," then hey, okay, well this is actually a job we can do. We'll do it and that's how they became tax collectors and you can see how that that association with money trickles down and you get the anti-Semitic tropes. So then when they came to America, which was the, you know, highly segregated America came to America because they were, uh, you know, being like, this is like, I mean, we always point to the Holocaust, but the Holocaust wasn't the first time that like Jewish people were getting persecuted and stuff. That's why so many of them came to America prior to the Holocaust, because it was never a great time to be a Jewish person. Exactly. So um, when they came to the racially segregated America, they took the jobs that were available. And so that's how they um, and not like not all of them, but that's when you saw them acting as landlords and pawnbrokers in places like Harlem and in the inner cities mm-hmm. because white people didn't want to be doing those jobs. Those were the jobs that were available. So those were their jobs. So then you can see how the seed is then planted for anti-Semitic generalizations about all Jewish people based on landlords, pawn shop owners, and record industry people because those were the people that black people were seeing. They were seeing mm-hmm. the Jewish landlord that was like there in the article, there's like a James Baldwin quote about how the first time, the only first and first time that he saw a white person was the Jewish landlord. And it was a, a slum, like he lived in the slums right. and that was the slum lord. And it wasn't until he grew up and like left his situation and looked back on it that he was like, oh, that landlord didn't even own the building. Like it wasn't until right. Jim Baldwin, like you know, became like made money and then looked and was like, "Oh, actually, that white man is the you know the Europe Western European white man. Mm-hmm. He's the one that actually owns the building." And and so then he kind of saw where Jewish people are on, like where they fit into within the caste system. It was the mm-hmm. same when we did New Orleans and and Louis Armstrong was like noticed how like oh like white people don't fuck with these Jewish people and he was taken in with by the Jewish people and he was just like oh they're white people and then he was like oh you're a different kind of white person it seems um so and then there would be like some of them probably were racist like you can't you know separate that fact out too like there are some people that they were just in their position, but then there were some people that were dealing with the black people in these inner city communities and stuff. And they probably were racist. They probably were taking advantage of them. Like it's not mutually exclusive. So in most of tin pan, the tin pan alley publishers. So that was like back in the day, like the the late 1800s, like music and stuff. 
those publishers and songwriters were Jewish and they were denied work in other professions and a new unestablished industry became the best path toward becoming successful players in American life. And so that's how they got into Tin Pan Alley. Mm -hmm. The same applies to the movie industry. Mm -hmm. There was there, there was this new industry happening. They were locked out of other positions in society, other professions. They got into the music, the movie industry. And so they're in these businesses. And guess what? Always sold in America. It was highly profitable. Anti-black and xenophobic comedy. So then if you're like a black person, you're seeing these Jewish people, you know, in, in yeah. these industries, and they're being anti-black, they're being, you know, xenophobic and stuff. So he said, quote, the exploitation and racism continued far into the jazz age when Jewish label owners would often take advantage of black artists with little music business acumen, paying them nothing for their work and churning out poorly recorded race recordings and by paying the performers with a bottle of booze. Mm -hmm. mm. So then also the Jewish underworld largely controlled the la live jazz scenes. Oh. And so like the a lot of the Jewish mobsters owned a lot of the clubs like in Harlem and Detroit and, and all of these places. Um, another example would be Leonard and Philip Chess. They were Jewish immigrants from Poland who founded Chess Records. Quote, some people have called Leonard and Philip Chess visionaries who recognized the potential of the visceral blues of post-World War II Chicago, wrote, biz wrote bluesman Willie Dixon in his autobiography. A far greater number have branded the Chess brothers as exploiters who systematically took advantage of the artist who created that music. Mm. The author points out, though, that while all of that can be true, you're, it's like what he was saying at the beginning about um, the stereotypes becoming dangerous when they amplify and putting the sum. If your only experience is dealing with everywhere you look around, it's a Jewish person that's that's doing that. It's you can see how somebody would get from the sum to the all, which is. It can be uh -huh. very dangerous. Um, so the author is, quote, in the case of black Jewish relations, the ambiguity of Jews' whiteness also played out in reverse, writes Cheryl Lynn Greenberg in Troubling the Waters, colon, black Jewish relations in the American century. Quote, if Jews were not entirely white, they nonetheless often stood in for whiteness in black people's minds and absorbed the full force of their racial resentment promoted by both propinguity and the ubiquity of anti-Semitism. Just Word. as society must have a scapegoat, James Baldwin observed, so hatred must have a symbol. Georgia has the Negro and Harlem has the Jew. Unpacking race from ethnicity or religion is a challenge, especially when the players themselves are none too clear about the distinction. And so the author kind of sums it up with, there is no single black community. There is no single Jewish community. Both groups have polarizing internal differences based on class, religion, gender, politics, generation, occupation, and a host of other less tangible factors. 
So it kind of gets into like this whole thing of like both things being true. Yeah. And it's not a coincidence and it's not an accident. Alrighty then. So I just thought I thought that was very interesting because you mm-hmm. like you still hear it you oh, know, yeah. to this to this day and stuff and, and it's 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 you know it's a minefield, but you have to to like well how like why like how do we get into that and then like unpacking it because a lot of things that because one of the um things that I read that Spike Lee had said at one point when addressing this controversy was how could I make he like paraphrasing for him but he's basically saying how could I make an anti-Semitic film like when um a lot of Hollywood Hollywood is run by Jewish people like they wouldn't mm-hmm. allow that but Jewish people can be anti-Semitic because mm-hmm. Hollywood is proof of that you know mm-hmm. yeah like, and you know they're, it's anti-Semitic because it's a money-making business and they know who their clientele is and that's America. <laughs> so it's like that reflection. And it's it's just something that is wild to me because I tend to forget that there's some kind of crazy statistic <laughs> that said that like most Americans like, have never met a Jewish person. What? Ever. Yeah, like if you look it up, it is... It is How? I, because of... Because of there's there's really not that many Jewish people in the populations, but I think where we live and just in our interactions, like I don't know, like I've I've always known, like I've never been to a Seder or Passover, but I've known Jewish people and they're familiar with the cultures and stuff, and just know like oh, it's just a religion. It's just to me, it's no different than somebody being like oh, I'm Lutheran, oh, I'm Catholic, oh, mm-hmm. you know, like it doesn't. But if you've never met a Jewish person uh-huh. or something like then and you're just getting these tropes that you know I mean Hollywood has a has its you know it's guilty too then you can kind of see how oh and because you know like anti-semitism is as old as anti-blackness like uh-huh. and the answer to every question what is it money uh-huh. like what was selling you know the they were looking like what, what was getting laughed, what was selling, anti-blackness and xenophobia. And exactly. guess what? That's what that's what sells, that's what works. So you have the people that, that's why it's cast, because you have the people that are on the bottom, black people, and you have the people that are a little bit above them, Jewish people, yeah. and there you have it. Wow. Yeah. So it was very interesting. One of my best friends, no, I <laughs> <laughs> But I did have a really good friend um, the first year I taught in Ohio, and her mom was a Holocaust survivor. And she always said, do not advertise your Jewishness because, you know, she um, she had lived through the Holocaust. So you don't want to advertise that you're Jewish. She didn't want her ever to wear a um, uh, Star of David. David. Mm -hmm. Well, that could, I think that's a lot of like what isn't getting said, especially now, is how much of it does come down to caste, and right. that because you can, like, you can be Paul Newman and you can just tuck in your Star of David, mm-hmm. and then you know where are you in caste? You're in a very well position. And there are some Jewish people that they they don't have that, like they right. 
right. just um, like especially the Orthodox and and like Hasidic mm-hmm. are they Hasidic? Sure. Jew- you know, like the people that you can oh you can identify on look and be like oh you're a Jewish person, but a lot and you know black people can't do that. There's a very tiny, small portion who can pass, but then that's passing and that's a whole other thing. But for the most, so I can see how, I don't want to, I'm not speaking for the entire black community, but like just from where I'm sitting, I can see how like there's a little, like to me, I always, it doesn't, I'm not like, oh, that's a Jewish person. To me, I'm watching, I'm like, that's a white person. And that's what they were saying Uh about like the standing in because I'm just like, I, and like the, I know that there's anti-Semitism and there's a persecution, but I'm just like, but you're, you can, you like, you, basically you can pass if you want to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like you can, you can change your name to something and you can talk your star of David and you can hide your Jewishness. That's, I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that's right or by any means right. condoning it, but I'm just saying that, you know, my dad's not going to like, my name is Arthur. I am a white man. Like, you know, there I mean, are some people. At least give him the benefit of the doubt that he'd pick a better name. <laughs> and then what would he say that he's Italian? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, that exists. But for the most part, the answer to everything is money. And we have a caste system that is based on skin color and your proximity to whiteness. And a lot in the black community, it's like, well, given that standard, Jewish people have a proximity to whiteness that other people don't. And the people who are further away from that proximity to whiteness, those are the people that would be like, oh, we, okay, yeah, you get what we're talking about, right? And they're like, yeah. So it's, I I just, I think that a lot of, if, if you put on those lenses, then you can understand a lot of what's going on in our world right now. Okay. We are to nerd alerts and I have one. So when I was watching Butterbean do his stand-up comedy, he looked so much like Bernie Mac to me. I kept going and he sounded so much like Bernie Mac. So I was like, wait, what? And, And I Googled him and it said, is he related to Bernie Mac was one of the things that came up. Um, he's best known for Bebe's Kids. Uh, his stand-up reminds me of Bernie Mac, and Bernie Mac was a friend of his. Um, and Butterbean, Robin Harris, died of cardiac arrest due to sleep apnea. But, um, so I think probably Bernie Mac got a lot of his, um, I don't know Bernie Mac's early time. So I don't know if, if they just were so freaking similar, but the, maybe, he was maybe. so uh-huh. similar to Bernie Mac to me. He, so I had to look up, was it Bernie Mac playing that part? It was not. Nah. <laughs> it was not. He died March 18th, six months before this film came out. Yeah. 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 I, I Like, I remember... I didn't really know who he was and then he died and then like Bebe's kids came after that mm-hmm. cuz he died in like pre-production of Bebe's kids. It was going to be it was going to be something else and so then they like made it into a, an animated thing yeah. and uh, yeah, he was he's just one of those like died at 36. I think his wife was like a couple months pregnant with his son. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah. He, I think he died 
he had just had a big show wherever he was and yeah, had a heart attack and checked out. But he's just one of those like funny dudes, man. That was my nerd alert. Well, I have that. So this came out in August 1990. So in 1990, Douglas Wilder was the first African-American governor, took office in Richmond, Virginia. Right. Oh. Smoking was banned across all flights in the U.S. in 1990. That was just in 1990. Wow. Yeah. I remember as a little kid going into restaurants and be like, smoking or non-smoking. It's like, non-smoking. And oh, then you know my family. We always sat in the smoking section. Smoking. Mm-hmm. And in 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from prison after 27 years. Wow. Top films worldwide. Number five was Total Recall. Number four was Dances with Wolves. Number three was Pretty Woman. Number oh, one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> we'll have to do that. We haven't done I it love, yet. I mean, Julia Roberts is my favorite actress. I didn't know that. Of all time. Oh, wow. Um, We'll have to do that. Also, mm-hmm. did you see there was a thing going around recently? She posted like a video. A, picture to Instagram and it was just like her and her niece her niece had stayed over it was her and her niece like playing cards at the kitchen table and they just woken up and in my opinion Julia Roberts can never look bad no (laughs) and all these people took to the internet so she like did this interview she was like I posted this picture but I thought was a wholesome picture of me and my niece playing cards on a like a early like a weekend morning and the internet just took it took with it took it and ran with it saying I looked so awful I looked like a man I looked I oh ate gosh, so that's awful. problematic like and she was like I just thought it was like a pic you know yeah that's the internet it is people gotta yeah. tear yeah. people down I, I don't turn off comments, I guess. Is that a thing? I don't know. That's why I'm not on the internet. Like, well, not uh, even comments. They just took, you know, they go to TikTok. And oh, even... and then they, yeah. I, I don't know. I missed that. Um, Sorry, Pretty Woman. Great movie. Yeah, we'll have to do it. Um, Still doing, still, what was that movie you watched over Christmas and she was in it? It was the Paradise, something Paradise with George. No, it wasn't Ticket to Paradise. It was the one that we just watched. We were all on your bed. And you were holding Hazelnut's hand. <laughs> like, you're holding your hand. And I was like, what are you doing? You were just holding your hand. Or Paul, like, it was so funny. Um, no, it was that, the, that one. And it was, and you didn't know what was going on. It was, and Mahershala Ali was in it. And she, she basically played, like, a Karen. Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on it. It's based by, on a book. I think she was really good in that. Playing yeah, kind of an unlikable character. Yeah. yeah. Um, number two was Home Alone. And the number one film worldwide was Ghost. Oh. I remember we saw Ghost in the, the base theater. That yeah, was packed. Because mm-hmm. it was like six months later, so every so we knew it was a hit. That that was a good thing about. Um, <laughs> so when you were overseas at the, at this time, the movies would come like it was just one theater, but the movies would come out like six to eight months later. 
but you would know if it was worth going to see. Oh yeah, true. You know, mm-hmm. so you knew like oh, home alone, so you would have to go early, get your yeah. seats. Because it wasn't assigned seating. You have to stand for the national anthem at the beginning. Yep, at the beginning. And you better not talk or do anything disrespectful because <laughs> my yeah, dad I would... definitely learned my lesson on that one at a young age. Mm-hmm. It was like, because you represent this family and you represent me. And you're like, and plus, yeah, just... Uh, command the what is it the order of command to you and the, yeah. yeah the chain of command and stuff um and honorable mention of films that also came out that we've done we did days of thunder that came out in 1990 oh. and paris is burning came out to the daytona 500 tomorrow oh yeah the daytona 500 tomorrow and paris is burning also came out oh. and shout out to that because I've gotten into RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> Yay! I'm not. I'm not caught up this week. I, I'm. I haven't seen what came out um, this weekend. This Friday, neither before have I. that, yeah. And I watched all of season fifteen. So I'm. I'm. I'm into it because I'm like. I. I feel like because I saw Paris is burning. Now I get it. It's funny mm-hmm. how. Like my perception of what I thought it was, and I'm just like, you know, it is such a great show. It is so mm-hmm. affirming and just like great. And the artistry. That's how I felt about the um, TV show Pose. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like if people would watch, watch that, then they would have a different feeling for these people. It's just they are people. They are just yeah living their life. Yeah, and they're like um. There's a famous quote, and RuPaul always says it. She's like, you're born naked, and everything else is drag. Everything after that is drag. And you're like, oh, my gosh. We're all just doing drag. Yes. (laughs) I'm not doing it well. (laughs) Well, for you, (laughs) you know, that's a thing. That's why I I thought... I always thought that it was that I like I'm not somebody that's into makeup. I'm not into clothes like that. I'm not into all that. So that's why I like I didn't watch and stuff. But... It does because I thought that it would be. Oh no, you don't have to be at all. Yeah, exactly. I thought that it would be like, like, oh, like I would, like they would make fun of me for not being into that, and it's like, no, that it's like the opposite of that. It doesn't. Exactly. You don't don't have. It's it's basically like this is what they're into. They really like doing it. You do what you want to do. Right. What you're really into. Yeah, and it's it's just fun because you're like, oh man, that it's and it's crazy like. Paint, the paint that they do on their faces and what they can mm-hmm. make their faces look like mm-hmm. and then just the artistry of it and how coming up with all of like the designs and then you throw into that the dancing and stuff and the uh, like all, I, I'm, I'm hooked I'm like oh I get it now um the best uh, the Oscar best pictures Goodfellas The Godfather Part 3 Ghost Awakenings and The Winner Dances with Wolves. Yes. Very problematic in today's, with today's lens. So those are my nerd alerts. So we are two reheatables. And uh, my first one is ego. Mm. Mostly. Oh, you're negative. Negatives. Um, Yes. um, Butterbean is funny, but I did not like the ugly woman routine. I mean, that's so rude. 
And um, the first time Spike Lee did the 360 camera move. Oh, I thought of you. It was really nice and slow. And I went, okay, Spike, I can do that. And then the next time it <laughs> went way too fast. Those were my negatives. Hmm. All right. What do I have here? The intro was too long. I wrote, let's get into it. Oh, with the little kids? No, no, the, the kids. Uh, credits. Oh, yeah. And uh, Teeny, I agree because I saw that Samuel L. Jackson was going to be in it. I like it when I'm surprised that somebody showed oh, up. Oh, I've know? been, see, I, I was surprised mm -hmm. by Samuel L. Jackson because I didn't even, I stopped paying attention. Oh, I think I did. I don't even remember the credits. It was long. I think I was writing down. Yeah, that's what we do. Later. Yeah. yeah. I have this as a negative. I feel positive about it, but it's a negative because it doesn't happen anymore. Mm. Knocking on your friend's doors to go play. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Can so-and-so come out to play? Mm-hmm. Mm. And even just, like, them, like, being able to just, like, play in the street. The end when they were, like, all playing in the street and it was, like, a fall day and there was leaves everywhere. It was so nice. There wouldn't even be the chance to have those leaves everywhere because street cleaning would have taken care of it now. Oh. Mm -hmm. Um, the bleak quintet, just the terrible band name. Yeah. <laughs> bleak, yeah, it's like bleak. Love the name. Not good. Well, yeah. I have a tasty titty on that. Oh, right. Oh. Is it named after? Is he named after Bleecker Street? No, it's it's um his a combination of his dad. His dad is Bill Lee. It's bleak. Oh, oh that's mm -hmm. cute. Biking mm -hmm. in a cable knit sweater. I saw that. Yeah. Dumb. Hopefully it wasn't acrylic. Can you imagine how heavy that would be <laughs> for After me? The, the sweat. You start sweating. Yeah. And they were biking in Prospect Park. It was it's hilly. Oh. Confiscating a declined credit card. Like when he oh. went, oh, I don't know. Like, what it no, you can't have my card just because it was declined here. Yeah. When he was at the record store, he, um, what's her name? Clark. Clark yeah. was like, yeah. oh yeah, oops, your card was declined. I'm gonna have to confiscate that. Um, I hope this, my next two points might be a little controversial. Oh, I Ooh. hope so. I thought that Denzel was right about Clark. She wasn't good enough to be the lead singer of that. Oh band. my gosh. Okay. Cause I am not a singer, but oh, as soon as she, she was... started singing, I was no. like, I don't think she's very good, like no. at all. Okay, no, she was. And not the song bad. wasn't good either. But then mm -hmm. I read in real life, like she was a singer, and well, that's was... why I did it. I didn't look it up, and I was afraid to say it. Yeah, because look, I can't sing, and to and to each their own. But to me, I was like, I don't think she's um Ready. up to. No. Yeah, up you to the standards. She should be singing in her kitchen, like me. She should <laughs> not be heading up a, a quartet. No. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Yeah. And then this might be another controversial one. I love Denzel. I just didn't really quite believe him as that character. Oh, oh. Interesting. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't believe him on stage. You didn't believe that he was like, well, he wasn't playing trumpet, but it seemed like yeah, and he I didn't was. Believe, I don't know. I just, it wasn't, he wasn't a natural to be like on stage. I don't know. Okay. Like, sure, okay. the sex scenes I believed, but uh, <laughs> it's a but, dick thing. Yeah. You just didn't believe that he, Huh. I mean, was he really like? I don't know. No, I didn't believe him as that musician. Interesting. Good. Interesting. Good point. Do you think that he was too good looking to be? No. The musician. Okay. And I, I think it was probably based. It's probably, I'm sure, based on like other roles that I've seen him in. Like that. I feel like this is different than. Right. Other roles that he's done. Oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know. There was just something about it that I was like, I don't know that I really believe him to be. I, I also don't... don't think he had the grittiness I needed him to have to be like a jazz musician on stage. Mm. Oh, I Maybe did notice that he is. did have. He had the tick where he would take his index and middle finger. Yeah, I didn't believe it. His, I saw, oh. I noticed it, but I was like, okay, that he's acting. But hmm. she was. I, Maybe, huh, right. maybe I was just. But like the busy. rest of the band, like definitely the drummer, I could. Yeah, I'm. Glad he was a real that. drummer. Yeah. But the rest of the band, even though they weren't, I believed them. Right. Well, right. Giancarlo Esposito in real life is a piano player. Okay. Um. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hot take. I don't know. Hot take, and I like it. Hmm. Yeah. Is it? Was that it? When mm. we did Paris Blues. Yeah. Did, did you buy Paul Newman as the? He was a trumpet player too, right? No, oh, he was trombone. Oh, yeah. I think I think that Remember. this saw that that oh, here's no. my thing. It's the same thing. I didn't care. I just was watching them. <laughs> you know, well, I think that, that yeah, because yeah. as Didi was talking, I was thinking of I couldn't think of the name, but I was thinking of Paul Newman. I'm like, oh, wait, did I believe Paul Newman? And I think I just didn't care. I just liked seeing him up there on the stage pretending. I feel like Teeny might have said that about Paul in Paris Blues, too. I might have. You might have. I just, yeah. I, I think that Paul Newman and Denzel Washington. I can imagine me not tonight. believing it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So do you think that they're like, was it because they were too good looking that you, that that's where you're, it's just. I don't think it had anything to do with good looking. I think no, it was it's the just... grittiness that I was missing. Like the, right. I don't know, for like a jazz. I don't know. Yeah. There no, was something was... that I didn't believe about him. Like when he was doing like the little love, we don't need any more love songs. I'm like, I don't know. I, I didn't like, like that. I didn't um, like a radio. I don't know. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I didn't believe him. Mm. I was not, I was not a fan of that whole uh, not paying segment. attention to that <laughs> oh okay, okay. oh man oh did i have the shirt off absolutely but yeah fair yeah. enough fair enough yeah. i believed him in the bedroom but not on stage there you go hmm? just as adam looks here's the thing i didn't believe that he had pimples on his back oh i did every yeah i believe that I was like, not on that. Not on that. No. <laughs> smooth, smooth, smooth. I didn't believe that about? He, 
his mouth was still so fucked up and then what's his name should have died and then he was totally <laughs> fine afterward like he had right. nothing on his face but meanwhile right. now he couldn't play the damn trumpet because his lip got so fucked up well his lip did get fucked up like he got because he got i know but like the other guy got beat about a thousand times well he was he, fine yeah his face would that is true that's yeah. what i didn't believe his face would have yeah. had he had a cane but like i don't know yeah, yeah that, that's a good point that's a good his point should have like his skull broke mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, that's a good point that's a good point i have uh people who think the rules don't apply to them uh, specifically left hand's girlfriend so <laughs> i like man that was just this is a tough beat because i did not like that lady <laughs> no well she was she was not likable she she's just in there, and then of course, like it's the white woman, and I was like, and of course, it, it has to be the piano player. So I was all kind of in my feels over that. I got, I was just like, but I would never have gone into their dressing room. That's I what mean, I'm I, saying. And Poppy would not have allowed me to do that. I know that's what I'm saying, but that you know, it's just that thing of um of. Like what we were talking about before, but I'm not gonna like you know stage a protest over the depiction of white women in Spike Lee's films. No, no. I'm not gonna, but that's just a, a thing of me of my, my sensitivities of like of like of course this late like unbelievable. Come on, Gee, of course. And then and then how just indignant she was. Well, and but stuff. she was French too. So that Girl. added another oh. layer of privilege. Of, yeah, we're also a lot of French too. So, yeah, and her hair—I was just, oh, I was all kinds of. I mean, and I had issues with Clark as as well. All kinds of triggering for me. Um, sports betting. Uh, here's a controversial because it's taken off now, but y'all gotta be careful with that, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, so do these sites and stuff? Do they got? Do they got the muscle that is just gonna come run up on people, or like, how's that working? Because those things are all over everywhere now. Yeah, they advertise it at the on the Super Bowl yeah. and everything, and it has. Af- no, who is it that advertises it? Everybody um, advertises because they're paying Jamie everybody. Fox? Like. Everybody, every yeah. podcast you listen to, not this one. Not this <laughs> one, because we don't have Not my favorite murder. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, because they know their demographic. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, when they get the murder sports book up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you wait, that's going to be on there. Like, it's when somebody, oh, you know, that's dark, but that's my humor, guys. Sorry. Somebody goes missing and they're like, what are the odds? Husband oh, did it. Well, you know, come on. That's that's a thing. That's going to be a thing because why? The answer to everything is money. All right. Um, We already mentioned it. Buying the same dress for both of your girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Also, this, this is crazy. Is controversial. I feel like Bleak would have had more than just two girlfriends. I was just, oh, just yeah. two. <laughs> he no, he would only 
buy the dress for two. And I'm not saying that he had more girlfriends, but he had more hookups. So what was it? It's a dick thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then my final bad reheatable is just when he goes back to Indigo and ask her to save his life after not seeing him for a year. But it wasn't, he didn't go to a white person to save his life. So there, it wasn't the white savior. But he still it went to a woman. The woman. Yeah. And then she had to be in the position to be like, okay, I'll save your, you know. I, I mean, know. It, it ended up working out, but it was just... And for how long? I'm just saying. I mean, it goes back to what Teeny was saying about, you know, women and the Mm -hmm. depiction of women and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. My negative reheatables. Well done. We are now to positive reheatables. And actually, during the opening credits, I did like the colors. You know? Yeah, it was nice. I just needed it to be shorter. I understand. I understand. Uh, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the BK. Young Denzel. Mm-hmm. The word malarkey. Oh, mal- yeah, malarkey word. is a malarkey. great word. Wait, now, they said it in this? Because to me, malarkey is like, that's that's like peak white person word. Uh, it was Spike Lee who said it. Wow, malarkey. Yeah. Right. Um, Bill Nunn. Yeah. Who played Bottom. Reminds me, so, has always reminded me of Larry Van Dyke. Oh, he yeah. just seems like that really genuinely nice guy. And his face, they, the his face looks very much like Larry's face. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, a soprano sax. Man, I do like a soprano sax. <laughs> I, I, now I just have Kenny G all of a sudden. I have not thought. Yeah, not Kenny G soprano sax, but um, Wesley Snipes, who I never cared for, but I did like the soprano sax. He was not actually playing it. And it wasn't Kenny G who was playing it either. And no. then having Samuel L. Jackson show up. Yeah, it's always good to see. Those were my positives. I wrote down Flavor Flav. I did too! <laughs> Flavor Flav! That's why I don't remember the movie because I was scrambling to find my notebook to be like, Flavor Flav! Yeah. I heard that voice. I was just, I just went like, wait, what? Always a positive. Um, Bay Windows. Yes, that gorgeous bay window. Uh, there's a bay window above us, but not a, not for us. But you guys have the backyard. Bleak's house, just. Ooh, yeah. The one as a child. I mean, all of them. Just like. And that still exists now, but even less so. Just like the idea, like, our apartment should be our living room, ground floor area. Exactly. And then you go upstairs to the bedrooms. Exactly. But. Everything's about money. Mm-hmm. And how many people can we fit in a building? Exactly. Um, biking in Prospect Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and running in Pro- Prospect Park. It's just a positive. 
jazz clubs. I had to have hmm. Adam write some of my notes because Hazelnut was sleeping on me. So. Uh, <laughs> Um, jazz clubs. Yeah, which was kind of why I was inspired to do this movie because we just went to the Blue Note for brunch two weeks ago and mm -hmm. saw what's this guy's name, Adam? Oh crap! The Glenn, Glenn David Andrews band, and mm. he's from New Orleans, and it was a fun time. Nice. The Brooklyn Bridge. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'd love that. I thought My was, second favorite bridge. I, what's your first favorite? I like looking at the Brooklyn Bridge the most, but I like the Manhattan Bridge to run across. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. The Brooklyn Bridge has wood on it, so it can kind of be annoying, and it gets really crowded. Mm. I'll bet. You thought it was what? I just thought it was interesting mm -hmm. how much like it was shown in there mm -hmm. and then when i think about it isn't it extreme like cost prohibitive now for just like mm -hmm. that real estate where they would be in that situation where the bridge would be like that mm -hmm. but maybe i'm mistaken well they were in brooklyn heights i believe um i think that's where they were living which is like right under the brooklyn bridge so like like they live at underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, basically. So is that like primo real estate, or is that oh you're under the bridge? So eh. Like I feel oh, like nowadays that, I'm sure yeah, it's like exactly. outrageous. Yeah, Dumbo. Yeah. Brooklyn, yeah. No. That's what I'm saying. I'm just like, oh, good luck being there now, guys. Oh yeah, absolutely not. Brownstones, Brooklyn Brownstones. Any kind of brownstone. Um, I wrote down Spike Lee joints. I always like them. Mm -hmm. I like their feel and stuff. Samuel L. Jackson. That was a fun surprise for me because mm -hmm. I didn't see his name there. Mm -hmm. And then Bleak is the name. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have Ruth E. Carter. When her name, I guess I looked up and then I saw Ruth E. Carter and I was like, what? Oscar winner. She's done so many films, but um, like I know her from Black Panther, and she created all of those designs. But she hasn't. I mean, she is just a oh. true legend of oh, okay. of costume design. I mean, she has been nominated for so many. She won for Black Panther, but I, that's when I saw it, and I was just like, man, he don't stop with these bona fides. Ooh. It's all these people. Oh, some that Georgetown sweatshirt in the '90s. I there was one episode of this where we were talking about it because I couldn't, and this was like this is a prime example. Georgetown in the '90s, like black people loved Georgetown in the '90s and the basketball team and all of that. Right. That right. my mind was blown when I was like, "Wait, what? It's a Catholic school, and it's it's Jesuit, predominantly yeah. yeah, it's predominantly white, like." just head exploded because i was like no georgetown um charlie murphy seeing mm -hmm. him that was great we already mentioned robin harris and then my final one is at the end the clothes that the little kids were wearing that uh, was how we dressed exactly i i did think of that yeah and and like like their jackets and stuff all of that that was how he looked in germany and when um, Spike Lee's character was uh, bicycling in Prospect Park, I feel like Adam had that outfit. Yeah, 
Like, I feel like he had that exact same outfit. He like that that looked like him. Had the same haircut. Like, yes. Like, oh my gosh. Probably the same size. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I kid, Spike. I kid. So yeah, those are mine. So we're to quotables. You could have stayed home and watched Arsenio. <laughs> mm. Arsenio was big. Don't ever marry a musician. <laughs> mm. Ma? People can teach you two things, what to do and what not to do. That's true. Yeah. Those are mine. Um, I had... That's my drove. The, that's my brother driving a Cadillac. You can't fit all that ass in a Volkswagen. That's why a brother drives a Cadillac. You can't fit all that ass in a Volkswagen. Leave it to me to fuck that foot up. That made me feel good about myself. Um, why are you bringing all that confusion into my home? That's what I have too. I love that. And then. I don't appreciate you calling me a white bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have, I make my living with my lips. Mm -hmm. Cause he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was kind of fucked up on her part. Mm -hmm. And I laughed. I feel like this was so because does a Washington's reaction seems genuine and his reaction to this. I think I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's Robin Harris. They're at the party at, at Bleak's place and somebody was saying something about it. Like I think he said something about him. And Robin Harris goes as I forget what his character was like, was it Butterbean or something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he said that, that Bleak's head looks like a goddamn question mark. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was. I laughed, and then you could just see Denzel Washington just—he just stopped and laughed. And it's funny because it—it does kind of in like a weird way. It's like, how did he think of that? Because it does look like a goddamn question mark. (laughs) Hilarious. That's all I have. Okay, so we're to LVP, and I have a couple. Mm, A couple. Um, Yeah. Um. Well, I have her taking him back. Yeah. At the end. Uh, yeah. Her re- being responsible to save his life. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add also um, Spike's uh, a depiction of women. But but my LVP is ego grandstanding. Mm-hmm. As Denzel said to Wesley Snipes. My LVP, my LVP was everyone standing around during that beat up scene. Yeah. Like I was getting to be a little extreme. Like yeah. I was like, oh God, like he could die. Yeah. And everyone was That's just true. like watching this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was my LVP. I guess me. Yeah, but there was like so many of them. I don't know. It was just, yeah. Yeah. I had, ah, might be a hot take, but I had a tie. Mm. Mm. So 
it's a tie to me between Giant and Clark Benton Court. Because Giant, like, Bleak loses his whole career because of this guy's gambling addiction, and he's mm-hmm. not even that good of a manager. Mm-hmm. No. He's just a friend, you know? Like, he just, he just, everybody was telling him, but he mm-hmm. just had that loyalty to him. And then he hopped, like, I guess, fell off the wagon, owed a whole bunch of money. And he goes sticking his, his face in, and there goes everything for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the movie makes it that he ended up with a family and stuff, so he was fine by it. Like, what did he end up going to yeah, well, do? How was he bringing was he like it? Yeah. Money? I, that brownstone don't, 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 yeah, don't pay for itself. Well, it I think like he inherited that though. Yeah. Okay, maybe, maybe it, maybe, but, but still. Um, and that, oh yeah, and so then Clark. I imagine he was a, a music teacher. Very possibly. Mm-hmm. I, I could see that. I like what you said, Teeny. I was not blown away by her singing, and mm-hmm. you don't bite. And then when I found, so when she bit the lip, I was just like, oh, she's just like. Okay, she's just off on that, and that's her thing, whatever. Okay. But then when I found out that she was a singer, I was like, oh, so you should, like, you know then that that's how he's a trumpeter, and that's how he makes his, you're just, like, you're just a bad person. Right. Yeah. Right. And you can't sing. Oh, sorry. Japan. I, I, uh, thank you. Yeah, teeny, teeny. I thought it was awful. In my professional, <laughs> I can like when it was playing. I thought like it was the oh he was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then this, and then, but then he it got kept up going. There. Yeah, and it kept going and it kept going and I was like, oh, and. I guess I was set up in a way because I did see in the credits it was like and introducing. Cinda Williams. But so she was like supposed you're expecting to be like this great talent. She supposedly had a record deal after this. But did she have a record deal because she was in because Spike of Lee's this, or she Mo already had blues? One. Yeah, I, I don't know whatever happened with the record deal. It just said that after this, she got a record deal. Didn't sound like it. It it went to fruition, but yeah. So I. I wonder why. Yeah. I was. I thought that. I. You know what? I've been listening. You know, my dayest list on Spotify in the evenings. It starts. I've been listening to a lot of Ella. Guess what, guys? Ella Fitzgerald, really good Mm. at singing. (laughs) Mm, Really good. Really hot take. You can't compare. But but that's what I'm saying. Like I've been listening to that. I've been listening to Dinah Washington. Like, mm-hmm. and I've then been, you get hit with this. Gal. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, what? Yeah, I'm glad you guys thought the same thing. I was hoping I just wasn't being mean. I I didn't know how I was gonna bring it up because I am such not a singer, and I know that music is so. Oh, what's the word? It, it's so subjective. Subjective? Yes. So I thought, well, maybe this is just me. But I 
like I like okay, like she gets like you know, I didn't I thought she was out of tune. Like I thought I she was think she was out of tune. Okay. I just thought she was just like like I don't know. Sure, yeah. go sing in your car. Yeah, I didn't even think that uh, which like, let me tell you, I now that I'm driving, I've been doing some singing in the car. Oh, so nice. I get it. You think you're good. Then you get put on stage and it's a different story. Uh, yeah, I was just like, ooh, okay. So yeah, those were those were my I just I didn't like I just I just really didn't like Clark. I didn't like her whole vibe. I didn't like her haircut. I did it like I'm just talking okay, about her character. Thank you. I didn't I like didn't, her haircut either. I you know what? And except I did like it slick back. I loved that like slick back. Oh, and it was like slick back. Like her in the red dress, uh, with the earring uh, and her earrings and her red nails and her slick back hair. But then her hair in the uh she, she had yeah. the one little thing. And she had the yeah. little swoop. Yeah. yeah. No, that was not it. I don't know. I got the see, I don't want to be mean, but I just got the feeling like she Okay. I we haven't done she boomerang. She about to say something mean. She just said, "Can I say something mean without yeah. saying it?" I know. So, we haven't done boomerang yet, but boomerang well, I don't think it was our first film, but in kind of playing maybe a similar part, but not the same. It was one of Holly Berry's first films. And, mm-hmm. like, Boomerang comes out, mm-hmm. and you're watching it, and you're just like, whoa, like, who is that? Like, like oh. And it felt like, even though Boomerang came out after this, but it felt like she was in the position where she was going to be, like, even though... Halle Berry isn't Halle Berry yet. She was in that position where, like, basically she's getting teed up to be, like, the next, that like, oh. Mm-hmm. And you have to also consider, like, she's being teed up to be the next big, like, black star. Like, how we've been talking about um, just, like, like, the depiction of black actors and stuff and in Hollywood and all of that. Like, colorism is a thing. And... It wasn't lost on me that she was light skinned, and so she's like being put up into this position mm. of like, here's the next big, and and she has a lot of features that are, um, closer to. Oh like, yeah, her I'm not gonna lie. I thought she, I didn't, I thought she might have been white the first time. I saw yeah. her on the screen, and so I'm just kind of like, okay, well, what, what, like, where's this going? Is she gonna be the for lack of a better, you know, the tr- the classic trope, the tragic mm-hmm. mulatto kind of thing. But so I, it's that thing because they're uh, like of Hollywood and the, so few depictions and stuff that I'm looking at her and I'm, I like, I feel like I just, and, and her whole, like biting the lip. I just didn't, I didn't like her. I just didn't like her. There was no, just, but like, I liked Indigo. Yes. I really liked Indigo a lot too. I guess so. I don't know. Like they teed her up like she was gonna be the the this next big thing, and I wasn't drawn into her. And so I just wonder, like, did she get the part because like Spike Lee liked her? Miles raising her head. Halle Berry was offered the part. Oh, oh. 
But when she heard that there were sex scenes and nudity, she said no. Interesting. So she she was the runner-up, Halle Berry. Because that does... Like that does track, and and I feel bad because she's an actress and she's performing and she's doing her thing, and I'm sitting here like comparing her to Halle Berry. But I just, it just felt like there was just something lacking, and it just like that there was like a miscast kind of opportunity where I'm like, all right, and like sometimes that happens. You're given your big shot, and it's just not for you, you know. Like there's nothing that can be said about it, and then like I'm bringing in all this excess baggage that I completely acknowledge and you know bring to it of this baggage and then she opens her mouth to sing and I'm like what yeah (laughs) are you kidding me and I also know how that's going over when the movie is being played because I've lived my life so I can I have a like I can imagine that there are people going to be like what you know like I'm not the only one who Mm-mm. was just the thing. I'm I don't know. I'm just ah uh, uh, I'm just not it not impressed, not a fan. Uh. And you're allowed to say it. Uh. So now we are to MVP. And one I have I have a few. One is, okay, so she took him back, and she got that brownstone. So yeah. That was a win. I mean, that's reason enough. Mm-hmm. And this Denzel. Economy, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, what what is that worth now? Because that was in the early 90s, so if they hung on to that. Millions, million, multiple millions. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this as a positive and a negative band life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know when they were all um, messing with each other and laughing with each other. That's the fun part of band life, you know, performing together, have their stories. But then there is the negative part of band life. Yeah. Um, MVP the music, but my MVP is thank goodness there were no guns at the time, because both Denzel and. Uh, dude would have been shot instead of just beat up. Well, I think there were guns at the time. I wonder if that was as prevalent as they are now. Yeah, because well, doesn't because his dad I... say something about that? Like, Because when he got beat up, when Denzel got beat up and his dad comes to see him in the hospital and he was like, I remember seeing I watched your first fight. I remember watching when you got in your first fight and thinking like he was like that was before kids had guns and like you could just like mm-hmm. but also the thing with um those uh the that profession of gentlemen that um assaulted them a dead man can't pay his debt true That's so right. yeah they, but they shoot his kneecap yeah but that, that's that's what the trumpet's for, or a baseball bat, you know? We bust out the kneecaps and stuff. I just wondered, because like, it's in my tasty titties, that Spike Lee, he uh, purposely excluded drugs on purpose to challenge the stereotype of jazz musicians mm-hmm. and drugs. So I kind uh-huh. of, I feel like there's the twofold of their, you know, the, uh, I forget what they're called. You know, like the what are they? The heavies? I'm blanking on the term. You know, the guys that go in and get the Pension? money. 
the yeah, like the, the collectors and stuff that okay. they, you know, Dead Man Can't Pay His Debt, so they, they probably wouldn't. The but then all, Yeah, the muscle. But then also, um, if he excluded the drugs, probably, because it's like, you know, 1990s, it's... Oh, yeah. Like, there, there, were, there was, there was, uh, that was going on. So I, I kind of wonder if that was in, that was part of his, like, not wanting to be in that stereotype. Good. My is it my mm-hmm. turn? Mm-hmm. My MVP was Brooklyn, specifically Brooklyn community. And I feel like a lot of people talk about moving to the suburbs so that their kids can have this life of like playing with their neighbors and like the community and things like that. And just that idea that that doesn't exist here is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you see, I mean, you know, obviously like nowhere, I feel like nobody goes and knocks on their friends' doors to see if they can play anymore. But like, you know, you're still friends with the kids on your block, I imagine, like all that stuff. So I just like that idea of the Brook- like Brooklyn and their Brooklyn community, you know? Yeah. Yes. Are these, are and like, really- yeah, you don't have, you might not drive into, onto your street with like a stone a sign made out of stone that says you know whatever the neighborhood is named but like you still know your block and your people around you and yeah yeah your community your sense of community and yeah. now like in the suburbs do do parents even let their kids go out and even play like no you don't hear kids out playing. you don't leave your lawn yeah right well, because you got the internet and all of this stuff, and they they play with their friends, but they play with their friends online. Yeah. And so it's just weird. But yeah, that that sense of community is it's funny because I you know I, I go on my different run routes and stuff, and I'll see the same kind of people, and I'm like, this is my gifts, <laughs> my community, and you're like wave to the same the same people and mm-hmm. stuff. They're like some neighbors and stuff, and they'll see me and like. Mm-hmm. One time this guy was like, oh, I didn't see you in a while. And I was like, I was on vacation. And it's just oh, funny. Nice. Yeah, you just like wonder and you, like I wonder how many people like that I don't even see that I go running and it's like past their ring. So they always like <laughs> know yeah, when yeah. I'm doing that. But then, and then like, I'm always like changing up. So it's never like, oh, it's Wednesday. So she's going to be here. So I'm always like keeping that mindful. But then, and like there's this um, trash like garbage truck driver guy and like I see him all like all in all these different places and I'm always like waving to him and he's always like waving to me it's just funny mm-hmm. like the different people you see there's this one like black lady she has a uh she she rides a fixed bike to the bus stop and so I'll see her run and she always she's like have a good day baby she's always calling me baby <laughs> and I'm like that's hilarious I'm like you too it's just funny just that mm-hmm. like your little sense of your little community and who you see and stuff and yeah. it's like we all see each other at this same time and then there's other people who are later that see the mm-hmm. yeah it's funny I know it is crazy like like riding the, like riding the subway to work and you start to see, you see the same people have your same work like mm-hmm. oh, I love when I would see the same person on my morning commute as I would see on my evening commute Mm-hmm. And I'd always be like, hell yeah, that means we both worked our eight hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our nine hour day, not anymore. Um, is it my turn? So it's my mm-hmm. MVP? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, man. My MVP is a 37-year-old Denzel Washington. Yeah. Where is that? <laughs> he was 37? He was a, he was a 36 or 37. I would have said, like, 25. Good I God, would, okay. I would have, too. Is he, no, and you know what's funny? I haven't really watched it, but I remember seeing pictures of him when he's in St. Elsewhere, and that's before this, and he has the mustache, and he seems like he looked older than in this, so I don't know. It was just... It was just great to see. And specifically, probably my favorite moment in this film is when they're riding bikes in Prospect Park and they have their whole scene. And the way that that scene concludes when Giant asks him, asks Bleak if he wants to race. And just the look on Dezo Washington's face because he's asking the race and he's pulling in front of him. And he just like gives him this look. And it's such a look like, like my brother would get for just it's just that look of like oh really you want to race like i'm already beating you mm-hmm. <laughs> really mm-hmm. it's just that mm, really look i'm just like oh that's hilarious i did not do a recasting i didn't either Why you know we're you? we're getting Other into than the... giant reminded me so much of chris rock okay we're kind of getting into the place where we're really no. Do you guys notice how we don't have movie stars yeah. anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So exactly. it's very hard. It's just a very, I was listening to a podcast with this guy and he was talking about how like he sees it. He's a culture. He, he like, it's not just culture, but everything. And he was saying how we're just becoming cults. Just cults of different things. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in like a different cult. And when we used to have, there used to be such a thing as the monoculture. And, you know, that had its pluses and minuses as well because the monoculture really skewed toward, uh, you know, Western European ideal and, and that kind of thing. But now that we just, it's really these little like cult things and, and, so it's hard to be like, like, who are the movie stars now that would do? They just don't have that kind of thing. That, like, even Denzel Washington's son is—he's great, but like, it's—it's—it's it's just different. It's—it's it's weird. Okay, so um, I gave you my tasty that Halle Berry was um, mm. turned down being. Clark. Wow, that is an interesting what if. I have that. So this was shot from September 25th, 1989 to December 1st, 1989. Mm. Um, Terrence Blanchard is on trumpet and he would go on to score most of Spike Lee's films um, since Malcolm X, and he's also done many other films, including One Night in Miami and The Woman King. Mm. Mm. Um, Spike Lee wrote this while he was working on Do the Right Thing, and it took him 15 days to finish the first draft. Wow. Mike maybe could have used a little more time. <laughs> I don't know. I was... When the movie ended, I was like, huh. I just didn't think that that was going to be the, yeah. the movie. Um, the music is played by Branford Marsalis' 
Quartet. Mm-hmm. And the original title was supposed to be Love Supreme. But. Mm-hmm. Cause that's taken from John Coltrane's 1965 album, a love Supreme, but his widow withdrew per permission because of oh. the film's explicit content. Oh. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that much about John Coltrane, but a love Supreme. I, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird to me that she was like, like, is that the true story? Like, was she like, oh, it's the explicit content? I don't know. I don't know enough to be, I just. Or were they of, not offering her enough money for it? Yeah. Or was there like some other reason? Plus, I don't think, like, right. I don't think it's a great name for it. Cause I feel like both of them kind of settled and, and they, they, they built a life together, but she was away from him for a year. And I don't know. Okay. Well, Mo Better Blues is more of a Spike Lee joint mm-hmm. than Love Supreme. I, I think agree. it's a better yeah. title. I think Mo Better there. Blues is a much better title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what I have. Well, and it's a, this has been Mo Better Blues. It sure mm-hmm. has been. So thankfully, I am not picking next week's movie. Ooh. Oh, I, I uh, texted you and said he's joking. He is. I did. I had to pick something. And I was like, I don't know what to pick. That's how I was. But I picked it. I think it's a like I think we can rent it, but I also think it's for free. I believe on Pluto TV. Oh Poppy, uh I erased my Pluto TV. Well, you can like re-download it. It's okay. How do you go, how do, Yeah, how do you raise it? What because my it? my Fire TV was saying I was out of storage, and so it would come up with you have to oh. erase Hulu and Paramount and something else. Mm, and I fell those. asleep, and it kept coming up. So he just went, "Okay, erase it. Okay, erase it." Oh, so, okay. That's well. We can like redo Pluto TV. Okay. I think, or like Google the title that I tell you, and then you click on the where to watch tab there you um go. 1959 Ooh. film noir you know i do like a film noir it's directed by robert wise who did west side story and i think the sound of music as well is it a musical i know it's a film noir it could be a film noir musical oh i don't know i don't know because it's Starring. I'm like, do you want to guess? But I'm like, who am I talking to? <laughs> you hear that, Tina? <laughs> I did, and I'm offended as much as you. Yeah, here we I go. I, well, sorry. she's not I even giving us the actor. She know, just wants us to guess off of 1959 exactly. film noir. Are you kidding me? Know, what would you guess? Yeah, because that, she would my, get it with no, this 1959. She's googling. I don't believe it. No, I would I'm, not. No, I don't, yeah, I would not get it. it. That was one. Like, look, I'm the problem. It's me. That was one that was on my because how I came to the film was I got a text when I was at Ralph's that it was, like, was it my week, and then I realized that it was my week, and I'm like, great, what am I gonna do? And I'm doing laundry. I'm doing like all. I'm doing the homework for this. I'm like trying to figure out. 
it, I look. I'm looking at the calendar. It's the last. It's the last February in the month. Is the it? Last, it's the last. Yeah, it's the last. It's the last, the last week February of ever. February Black History Month. Yes, you, we've established my dyslexia, so so I'm basically trying to explain to you why I offended you on accident by saying this because, and now you're oh, seeing okay. into my mind because I had to figure out. Well, what am I going to do? And I decided that I wanted to do a certain actor that I think we've done, but we really haven't. He's shown up in a movie that we've done, but we really haven't done. So I'm like, all right, this is great. We'll do an actor. So I had to look up like what the what movies this actor was in. So that's why. And then when I was like, oh, well, you guess. And then they're like, they're not going to be able to guess because they don't know what actor. And the whole right. reason that we're doing the movie is because I want to do a movie about this actor. So. It's a 1959 film noir directed by Robert Wise, starring Harry Belafonte. Oh. And Robert Ryan and Ed Bagley. Not, Not Ed Junior. Bagley. Not Junior. It's called Odds Against Tomorrow. Well, uh, that was on the tip of my tongue. I was going to say, I was going to guess that. No, that's, that's why that I felt like bad. Well, uh, my mouth was talking and my brain was like, stop. Okay. okay. Odds against tomorrow, film noir. Because I was that's like, we screaming. haven't, we did, we did Carmen Jones and Harry, Bel Harry Belafonte was in that. But I was thinking back to um, when we went to the Academy Museum and there was like the whole, like, you know, great black history exhibit. And there was like, and Harry, there was Harry Belafonte, and he had recently passed away at that point. And I, we were, I was like, oh, he and just so, died last year. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I was like, oh, we need to do like a Harry Belafonte movie. Like, what is Harry Bel Belafonte? And he's been in a lot of movies, and I like film noir. And so I was like, hey, let's let's do this Harry Belafonte film. Let's close out Black History Month. Well done. He named his daughter Sherry. Mm-hmm. Sherry, Sherry Belafonte. Sherry and Harry. Oh, that's cute. Sherry and Harry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was in the TV show Hotel with Josh Brolin. Mm -mm. She was yeah, just always Josh. in, like, she was, yeah. like in my childhood, she was always around Sherry Belafonte. And she recently popped up in something I was watching. And it was a recent thing. It was like, that's mm -hmm. Sherry Belafonte. Okay, well, she won't be in Odds Against Humanity. Against <laughs> tomorrow. 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 Wow, that sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? Odds Against, Odds tomorrow. against tomorrow. It sure does. Sounds, well, listeners, like, sounds like our life in America. <laughs> we hope you yeah. have enjoyed Mo Better Blues, the, the pluses and the minuses that we bring to you. And next week, uh, we will be doing Odds Against Tomorrow. Oh. There you go. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.